Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, a show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Park Howell. Park is a 35-year veteran of the branding arts and is now considered the world's most industrious storyteller, who has helped brands grow by as much as 60% with the power of story. He hosts the popular Business of Story podcast and has just released his first book, Brand Bewitchery, How to Wield the Story Cycle System to Craft Spellbinding Stories for Your Brand. Park might also be the only storyteller I know who recognizes the wonder and joy of Ben Folds, the modern-day Elton John. Ladies and gentlemen, Park Howell. Park, welcome to the show. Francisco, thank you so much for having me. How did you know that I love Ben Folds 5? Well, you know, I, I, um, I'm someone who, who does his research work diligently. And one of, the, one of my criteria for figuring out when I'm ready to stop prepping for, for a podcast episode is, have I got something a bit odd that I wouldn't have found out just by looking at your website or, or, or listen to, to a normal episode, a normal podcast episode? And when I heard that one, I don't know, a big Ben Folds uh, fan myself, I, I, I was lucky enough to, to watch him live in London many years ago. I think he had just stopped being Ben Folds 5 at the time. And then uh, I, I heard, I didn't even realize how active he still was, but aren't you watching a gig a week or something now? Yeah, Patreon, it's just amazing. For like $9 a month, he comes on and he does a couple shows live, you know, not even shows. He's just there with you. They're like, sometimes they're songwriting master classes. Other times you're looking over his shoulder and he's teaching piano lessons or he's talking about his own songs that he has written, or he does just music appreciation, and he's live, going through the scroll, answers your questions, jokes around. I mean, it's one of the coolest things that I found during COVID, yeah, because he's stuck in a, an apartment over in Sydney, Australia. He's not touring, so it's a way for him to keep you know, in contact with his fans, and it's just, it's just a delight. I love doing it. It's a pretty good move for him, given that he can tour at the moment, and I can't imagine that he he's found uh, that he's probably had no shortage of takers for that Patreon account. Well, it's interesting, um, Francisco. Sometimes you can go on there and there's like 50 people on it, so it's very intimate. And he gets a, a chance to say hello to everyone, and he answers your questions. And then just last week I was there, there's over 100 on it, so it kind of fluctuates. Uh, and I can't hit them all, but I love it when I can. And it, yeah, it's a very, very smart move. And 
as a kid, you know, you had mentioned I've been in the branding arts for 35 years. So, yes, I've been doing this a long time. And as a kid, my very first album I ever bought was Elton John. Very first concert I ever went to was Elton John. Of course, a big Billy Joel fan and others. And then when I found Ben Folds in the early 1990s, I was looking for some new talent, uh, pop singer, keyboard, songwriter, and found uh, Ben and just loved his his music. And I've been a big, big follower of his ever since. You, you're talking about you know when you were a kid. and, and Now, I have this feeling here, and I'm not sure if, if I'm correct in my guess, but, but there's a couple of quotes that I joined from your book, right? If content is king, as so many content marketers profess, then storytelling is the kingdom sorcerer, because telling stories is where the magic happens. And then there's this thing that you said many times throughout the book, which is you have to understand the magic to cast a spell. Now, both things really speak to the nerd in me. And I read this and I thought, well, if you used to be a role-playing Dungeons and Dragons nerd, you're not hiding it very well. Is that actually true? <laughs> have I guessed this right? <laughs> not at all. No, Francisco. I honestly I have never played Dungeons and Dragons one time. And I can tell you our son, who's in Hollywood, he's a director of mixed reality in motion design over there, they just did a live Dungeons and Dragons stream for three and a half hours on Twitch. And they did it with all this motion graphics and design. And as they went on these grand, you know, quests, I guess, as they do in D&D, um, they were battling real life animated monsters and whatnot in front of them. And people got to vote in and whatever. So that's the closest I have ever come to playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that particular production is called InstaQuest. And people can go on, on Twitch and check it out. It, it will blow your mind from a storytelling and a production um, side of it. But nope, nope. I must say I have never once tried Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so so again, I've got I've got loads of quotes from your book, which I which I, I mentioned to you. I had I have read recently. I mean, recently is the only way to have read it. It's only come Thank out you a for few months ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's only it's only come out a few months ago, right? Mm-hmm. So another thing you I believe it's from the book, or maybe somewhere I've heard you something I heard you say somewhere else, which is the masses have become the media. So I know this is part of a backstory, but can you just explain one, you know, what what do you mean by that, and also why would story be a potential solution to that? Yeah, I ran my own ad agency in Phoenix, Arizona for 20 years, and I started it back in 1995, really kind of pre-internet, just as we know it today anyway. And before that, I'd spent 10 years in the advertising business for other agencies, and it used to be a lot easier, Francisco, when our clients at the time owned the influence of mass media, meaning there was TV, radio, print, being newspaper, magazine, you know, outdoor billboards, public relations, direct mail, events, and no Yelp. And so brands could pretty much tell you whatever they want to tell you and try to whip you into submission to buy. The best ones still told stories even back then, but it wasn't nearly as crucial as today. In 2006, I realized that the old way of advertising, marketing, and branding was no longer working, hit me upside the head. And it was precisely because of technology and the internet. E-commerce was really coming into its own. Social media was just taking off. And that's why I say, well, brands used to own the influence of mass media. Now the masses, you and I and your listeners, are the media. And we get to be our own TV station, radio station, print house, 
24-7 with global reach from the privacy of our own kitchen table. So they own your story, they own my story, and they're willing to tell your story in all its glory or its goriness uh, on Yelp. So that's why I say the, the, the battlegrounds has shifted, that the, the masses are the media. And the reason why storytelling is so important now is we have been able to create this marvelous technology that compounds exponentially in its ability to deliver message at, at like Moore's Law, the rate of Moore's Law, which means you and I and everyone else is pushing out content at that compounding rate. Yet you and I are still walking around with that monkey brain apparatus called our limbic system at the base of our, our, our uh, spinal cord that is about fight, flight, subconscious, you know, the amygdala. And it is where we decipher this information that we are getting bombarded with. So the same brain apparatus that our ancestors used to navigate and survive the savannah 30, 40, 50,000 years ago is the exact same apparatus that we use to navigate and survive the internet and the deluge of information that we are bombarded by, as I mentioned, and we just want to brush aside. That's where, Francisco, I found the primal power of a good story well told is what helps us hack through the noise of the internet and hook the hearts of our audiences because it was that same primal power, that same ability Homo sapiens had to tell stories that helped us evolve from cavemen and women to consumers today. I I want to get into, into your book and, and your approach to this. But one thing I wanted to just talk about before was... As, you, as I mentioned, I had your friend Sean Callahan in the in the show a couple of weeks ago. Well, actually, his episode just came out uh, today as we're recording, and I, I called him the Godfather of business storytelling, <laughs> which <laughs> which I appreciate it. But Sean's approach and in your approach to me exemplify two in a way two extremes of what what we tend to refer as storytelling. In the sense, because Sean is the is the the king of of small stories, small oral stories, whereas yours, at least the the one of your approaches, the the, the story cycle system, is more about picking out the elements of story and using that as a as a branding tool and as a way to, uh, I think, how you call it, clarify your message to amplify your uh, yeah, clarify your story. simplify your life, amplify your message. Simplify your life. Yep. There you go. So, so I just want to talk a bit about that, which I find, which I find very interesting, because one approach is genuinely just tell one to three minute stories. That's it. Um, and the other one is, I think, much more of a scientific approach to to let's find what works with story and let's use it. So uh, I know you, and I know you do tell stories, and your book is filled with them. But just I wanted to talk about this this difference between the, the different ways that storytelling can be used in business and particularly the main way you use it with the story cycle system. Mm-hmm. Well, Francisco, I admire Sean Callahan and the fine folks out at Anecdote in Melbourne, Australia, very, very much. In fact, I went through and got certified on one of their programs and have taught it here in America. And you're exactly right. They are brilliant technic- tacticians at telling oral stories, which are quite different than written stories and others. 
I got my start from my background being in the branding world. I had mentioned in 2006 that things weren't working like they they did before, and I needed an answer. And I was just hearing this term about story and storytelling bubbling up. And quite honestly, Francisco, I said, yes, yeah, so what? I mean, we've been telling stories ever since we started this agency. What's the big deal? We just haven't you know, put a stamp on it. Well, I learned that we were only partially effective telling stories because we weren't intentional. We were using our intuitive creativity to tell stories, but it didn't always work for us because sometimes we'd let creativity get in the way of the storytelling. And so we might be running two commercials, two 30-second TV commercials. One of them pulled really well, the second one not very much, and we didn't know why at the time. Well, when I started studying story, I could look back and say, oh, my God, it's because this one, commercial A, has story structure to it. Commercial B was just a creative whatever, something that we let our ego get in the way and push out, and it didn't resonate with people. So I try to move people from being intuitive storytellers, as we all are, to intentional ones, learning the applied science and bewitchery of storytelling. I learned it through Joseph Campbell one of America's foremost mythologists, because our middle child, our son Parker, was going to film school at Chapman University in Orange, California. And he went from 2006, 2010, graduated, has been in Hollywood ever since. He's the guy that did the, the live stream, as I mentioned. Well, while he was going to school there, Francisco, I said, Parker, send me your books when you're done with them, since I'm paying for them, because I would like to know what are they teaching you to be a competitive storyteller in the most competitive storytelling market in the world, being Hollywood and Los Angeles. So that's what he did. And that's when I found The Hero's Journey. I recognized its structure immediately and how powerful it could be to branding. So I took Campbell's 12 steps, mapped it to business called it my story cycle system, immediately applied it. My very first brand, the company I first applied it to back in 2009, 2010, has grown by 600% because, and they will tell you, Avin Sate Tafoya, the former CEO who was there for 15 years, will tell you it was precisely because they got their story, their overall brand narrative dialed in and could get everybody buying into the vision it created for them and this compelling mission um, that put them on. It was after that. So that was the heavy lifting. That's my large narrative arc that I use for long-form communication, brand strategy development, and so forth. As I was studying that, learning it as best I could, is when I found the likes of Sean Callahan and Anecdote and thought, oh, that's really interesting what they're doing with these small stories because these small stories are absolutely critical to the success of your overall brand narrative. Think of your overarching brand narrative as um, the screenplay to your epic movie, your epic adventure, and all these different scenes happen to transport your audience through that primary character from one point to another. Well, those little stories that Sean teaches are those little scenes. And so I use them too. I, I, I have d- dissected them out and called the, you know, the five primal elements of a short story for big impact, timestamp, location stamp, character. And I learned this from Sean, um, action and surprise. And then what is the business point that is being made in that? Um, so that was my second level of story training that I teach because you can use those five primal elements of story anywhere and everywhere, not just in your brand storytelling. And then the third one I found uh, is the and, but, and therefore, which is this foundational 
narrative framework that I learned from Dr. Randy Olson. And he and I have become fast friends and we are now working together, teaching it in the science community, me also in the in the business community. It's probably worth giving giving a bit of credit to one of the most unlikely business gurus of all time, Eric Cartman from South Park. Absolutely. Uh, who, <laughs> I, who I understand was I, I think he I think um uh, Trey Parker inspired the end but part. I yeah. think uh, Randy Olson came up with it therefore. There's a terrific video on YouTube called Six Days to Air, where Matt Stone and Trey Parker go through what it takes to put a, a South Park episode on. And if there's a new one going on this Sunday on, on uh, Comedy Central, they will have just scripted and produced it this week. Literally, they give them six days to air to come up with the show and get it, get it finished. Well, South Park is one of the longest running TV series ever. And be, to be able to do that, and not really give you the luxury of having many months to produce a single episode means you must have a pretty doggone good system down. And they talk about what that system is. And it all starts with story structure of instead of and, 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 anding your audience to death, which is boring, say, you know, um, Eric Cartman wakes up in the morning and he goes down to have breakfast before school. But... His whole family has moved out overnight. Therefore, he runs next door to see what's going on. But that family is completely gone too. Therefore, so you get this but, therefore, you get this action sequence of problem resolution, problem resolution going. When I learned this from Dr. Olson, who, by the way, is a Harvard PhD evolutionary biologist, so he knows something about this brain of ours and its survival, his, its survival need. Um, he also went on to film school at Chapman University, or no, I'm sorry, USC, graduated, uh, produced three documentaries, and has written four books teaching scientists what he learned in Hollywood about how to better communicate their big ideas. And his singular finding is the and button, therefore. And I told him, I said, you know what this ABT is? It's actually the DNA to story. And he, being the evolutionary biologist, said, damn it, I wish I would have come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good line, yeah. And it's um it's in, it's interesting that whenever you try to peel back the layers and find okay, well, what is the basic structure here? So I I had the you know end button therefore wasn't it was something I think I came across through you I think, and um, I remember once I sat down in front of like a story, and I kept trying to say okay, but what is this? And then you always end up with similar structures because it says okay, well this is the setup. Or if it's not the setup, it's the context. I think Bernadette Jiwa calls it the context, the normal, whatever. And then you're always going to have, okay, the problem, the conflict, the change, the, you know, the but. And then, therefore, is the outcome, is the consequences, the solution, the resolution, or whatever. Um, they're always the same, but I, the end but therefore is just also a very catchy way of describing it. It's very, very easy to remember you're exactly um, right. Yeah, I mean, none of us have invented any of these things. So when pe people point to my work, um, the world's most industrious storyteller, which a client gave to me, by the way, and I just loved it so much, I ran with it, is it's a little bit like Steve Jobs in that, you know, he never invented any of that technology, but he was brilliant at being able to look at technology that was already available out there and then put it together in a way nobody had ever put it together before and make it work. And that was the secret to his success. 
Well, I feel like I kind of do the same thing in the story world. I first you know, found the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. I said, all right, well, let's cobble this together and map it to business so it makes sense. And that's in our 10-step story cycle system. Then I see the great work that Anecdote is doing. I go, well, that is really important cogs in the whole storytelling thing. So how can you plug these stories in as you are telling your overall brand narrative? And then, of course, I come across Dr. Olson, the ABT, and I go, oh, the ABT is so beautiful for helping you focus and find your theme. And they all play back to that mantra that I push so much is when you find your story, it's about clarifying your message to amplify your impact and simplify your life. That is the goal to all of this. And I've seen you talk about the some very practical ways of using the ABT. And I think you were talking about uh, elevator pitches and yeah. emails, right? You're one, yeah, you're one for elevator pitch, literally. Uh, so for your listeners, if they don't know what the ABT is, is it's set a problem resolution, Francisco, just as you had said. So it's act one, it's act two, it's act three. And you can do one of these in a sentence or two. And the first thing I want to clarify is the ABT is not a story, but it uses story structure, problem solution dynamic that hooks that limbic system that we talked about earlier, which is, is a problem so- solution uh, mechanism just to keep us out of, a, out of trouble and, and alive and kicking. And so, for instance, the shortest ABT I will ever tell that uses this is most executives communicate and care, but bore. Therefore, tell a story. So that and is a statement of agreement. Most executives communicate. I set the context that I'm talking about communicate, executives communicating. Now I want to raise the stakes. And they actually care for the most part. So I just want my audience to you know, be nodding along in agreement. I'm not making an opinion or an assertion. I'm just rolling that out. Now I want to introduce the conflict to hook your monkey brain. And that is all of our monkey brains, by the way. Uh, that is but... They bore. They're boring. And what does boring then mean in your head? They don't connect. Their audiences are looking out the window. Their PowerPoints are riddled with bullets. So they're killing themselves and their audiences. They're just boring. And they're also leading with data chats, starts, uh, charts and graphs and stuff that our brain just doesn't love wrapping its head around. So therefore, here's the solution. Here's the answer to it. Tell a story. Now, how could I use that? In a one-floor elevator pitch, Francisco, you and I get on board, you know, and you just look at me and you look down and you see my business of story shirt and you're intrigued and you say, oh, what do you do? And then I might say, um, I've been in the branding world for 35 years and have helped loads of purpose-driven brands grow through the influence of mass media. But technology has leveled the playing field and now we all compete in a cacophony of communication. Therefore, I consult, teach, coach, and speak internationally, helping leaders of purpose-driven brands grow and excel through the power of storytelling. Boom. Doors open up. You bolt off the first floor because you're trying to get your checkbook out and hire me immediately. See how that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or 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 if you if you wanted to make that even shorter, you could just use what you said before. It says you know most most executives communicate and care, but are very boring. Therefore, I, I help them tell. Stories. I help them tell stories to hack through the whole, yeah noise and hook the hearts yeah. of their audiences. You're exactly right, exactly yeah. right. So you can do a longer version of it. You can boil it right down. 
And I've seen you describe how that's a very good structure for writing emails as well, right? Yeah, I taught my program at Arizona State University in an executive master's course for five years, which enabled me to work with executives from around the world, companies like Philips Electronics, Cummins Diesel, American Express, plus individuals, uh, people looking for career changes and whatever. And in teaching all of my work with the business of story, the ABT is always prominent in it. In it. And uh, I would have students say is that, number one, they got to their point way quicker. So an email that may have been 100 to 150 to 200 words long before is now 40, now 50. So they were able to cut it in half or sometimes by two thirds. The second thing they found, Francisco, is people would actually comment to them. I don't know what you're doing, but I love your emails now because I I know what you're asking and it doesn't take me forever to get through them and I don't have to guess at what you're about. And then number three, it simplifies everybody's life because now that email is coming in way shorter, easier to read, and uh, it goes right through that list. of They clarified their story using the and button, therefore. They amplified their impact because their readers going, whoa, Park, I finally know what you're talking about. And I don't have to wade through it. And it simplifies everybody's life in the process. That's why everything I start now starts with the and button, therefore. And I think that leads me to something else I wanted to pick your brain on because the the end button therefore as a structure is very very simple. I think you mm-hmm. know I believe that you explain as we have just explained now, and you can you can cover. I mean anyone could understand it based on this you know two three minute explanation, and should be able to use it. But the the in in the five elements of story as well. But then when we move towards the what you call the story cycle system, mm-hmm. my, so my my feeling with the hero's journey in general is that, the, in a way, the barrier of entry for using it, not for understanding, for understanding it, I mean, it's, it's, it's built in the system. But for using it, my feeling is that the barrier of entry is a bit higher. For some people won't instinctively use it unless they've been really, really hardcore trained on it. I mean, has that been your experience? It has. And when I first saw it, I thought the exact same thing. And yet I thought it was so powerful, it would be crazy not to bring it to business. And that's why I mentioned that I use the principles of the hero's journey, but I have completely mapped it to business in my 10 steps, as you saw in the book and brand bewitchery. And now, by the way, I'm doing a three-week brand, build a better brand story sprint where people use my online course and then I work with them in a group of 10 professionals and we do two live sessions each week for three weeks. So I take them by the hand through it so they can dial in, clarify their brand story, teach them how to tell it so that they can amplify their impact and ultimately simplify their life through repeat business and word of mouth marketing. What I uh, always attempt to do in my work at the Business of Story is take you, the reader, even if you know nothing about the hero's journey, by the hand in a very logical business way. So, for instance, you know, chapter one is the backstory. Let's just simply set the scene. And this is where your ABT comes into play. What is your ABT that speaks of your business? You get that focused in and it helps you clarify what your number one position is in the marketplace. What do you do different and more distinctively than your competition to make you stand out? So it is very logistically primal stuff that you're essentially just setting the scene of the market you're in, why you're there. And then you move on to chapter two. Who do you help? 
hero. So who is the center of your story? And Francisco, this is where I get the single largest paradigm shift in most all branders and marketers' mind when they realize their brand, their product or service is not the center of the story, but their customers are the center of their story. And this is the first time that they're really asked to understand and empathize with the journey their customers are on and the stories their customers are telling themselves about their product or their market category so that they can start fashioning the appropriate story to connect with their customers. And I won't go through all 10 steps, but step number three then is what's at stake? What do these folks want? And and that's from two levels. I ask, what do they wish for? Emotionally, what do they wish for in their, their life? Because that's what you want to sell to. And then what do they want physically in order to fulfill that wish. Again, brands are usually so caught up in talking about their wonderful product or service that I've got to remind them that your stories are not about what you make, but what you make happen in people's lives. And that starts with what's at stake for your audience. So you are there to help them. And then we go through you know, the rest of the story cycle system. And it's thought it's gone through from a business standpoint but it's using that long form story structure as chapter headings for you to pull together your narrative elements so that you can tell and live into a very powerful brand narrative. I wanted to ask you about, well, obviously not all of the steps. <laughs> we need a lot more time than that we had for that. But I just wanted to ask you a bit more about the last three steps because, because whenever I've seen anyone try to use the hero's journey before, it's it's a shorter version than yours. And and I don't think I've seen those steps. I definitely have not seen moral and ritual, which was the last two steps. Mm-hmm. So so I just wanted you to just talk a little bit, particularly about ritual, because that one I find very, very interesting. I think moral probably aligns a bit more with people who understand as purpose, right. whereas ritual, I, I don't think I've come across that before. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Uh, mine doesn't follow the the hero's journey precisely. It's pretty doggone close, but I've also added these two steps within mine that are the function steps for every story. So every time we hear a story, short little anecdote, long story, whatever, there's always a moral to it. Aesop fables, there are moral to it. You know, I mean, pretty much anything has a, a, a moral. And what I'm talking about there is how do you connect your shared beliefs and values with your audience's beliefs and values. And that's through your purpose. What does your brand stand for beyond just making money? And so that is the moral of the the story. And I ask people, when you're using the story cycle system and telling a long form story of some sort, long form to me is anything over three to five minutes, you know, or you're building your brand platform. Ask yourself, okay, so what does this story say about you, what you believe in value? How does it illustrate your beliefs and values so that your audience, who is the center of the story, the people you're really trying to connect with, can say, you know, Park, I believe in that too, or I value that too. We're of like mind there, and I, I appreciate your purpose in life, and therefore, I'm willing to buy into your story. And then that last chapter, chapter 10, is called Ritual, because we tell stories for no other reason than to connect our worlds with someone else's world. We want them to buy into our way of thinking or our product or service or whatever. And so ritual is your CTA, your call to action. How do you get people 
to that have never heard of your brand, step number one, you tell them, take them through the story cycle system about your brand and brand and brand awareness. They're like, wow, Park, I really like what you have to sell here. I'm buying. Now they're into brand adoption. You start the whole story cycle process all over again because it is a spiral. So while the hero's journey is a circle, it starts and ends in the hero's ordinary world, the story cycle system is a spiral. It's a virtuous cycle because every time you go through it, you have expanding customer engagement. That is the goal. So the first spiral is brand awareness. They just hear about you and you take them through your story cycle system. All right, they buy into its brand adoption. It now starts all over again. Your backstory changes a little bit because they are now bought in and you take them through the process. You take them through the journey of experiencing your brand for the very first time. You want to get them to brand appreciation, which is the third revolution of the story cycle system, because now they have brand appreciation. You're delivering on the promises you make in your storytelling, and they are happily coming back for more and repeat business. They are ritualizing your product or service in their life. And by the way, Francisco, they're starting to tell their friends about it. So they are they are ritualizing your own story. They are pushing it out and sharing your story with their world, which by the way is the most powerful form of advertising there is, free word of mouth marketing. That's why I intentionally put the last two chapters in there of moral. After going through your whole brand story, what is it obvious that to you that you stand for in the hearts and minds of customers? Because if you don't stand for something, you won't stand out. And then how do you incorporate your story with their story so that you can ritualize the use of your product or service? And it's an interesting concept, uh, even outside the way you use it, just this idea of what exactly you are doing that builds, uh, apart from the product being used, what are you doing that now becomes part of the customer's daily lives? And uh, I'm, I'm failing on the examples now, but I think you had some interesting ones in, in your book about, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was, but about some companies that is, ask you to do things. And and just I like the idea of, you know, if it doesn't matter if it's a podcast you listen to or, or anything you're buying or something you're watching where they where they have a bit of an ask and then People will see you do that and go, why are you doing that? Oh, it's a silly thing. It's this podcast I listen to and he asks, the guy asks me to do that. I, I just like that that idea of um, the sort of spreading out into the world in a very organic way. Yeah, hook them into your little lives. Well, you know, a good example of a ritual is Starbucks. Starbucks does such a beautiful job of getting people to roll in, you know, first thing in the morning before before work or they have that little coffee clutch and whatever. Now, of course, the caffeine helps you build that ritual too with its addictive nature, but they have ritual built into, you know, a daily life for, for millions and millions of people around the world. Just, you know, one example of it. Um, can you think of a product or service, Francisco, that you have that's a go-to that you realize that you've got it ritualized in your life? I, I'm trying to think of something that is outside of the of the normal usage of the product, but but you know now since I started recording the the podcast, I have found myself often talking about uh, Squadcast, which is what I used to record, 
without any pro- well actually they have a, an affiliate program that I probably should sign up for but but every time I talk to someone about about podcasting and the, the usual problems you have with I don't know mixing and quality and internet connections not being patchy I find myself talking about my experience with the product and why I like it and and why they should give it a go which is not quite exactly what we were talking about, but you know they're getting a lot of advertising work out of me for no for no cost so far. I should look up that affiliate program again. <laughs> I, I use Squadcast as well, and it came to me through a friend that recommended it to me over the summer, and I like it just like you said. I like it too. The quality is just sensational, and I talk about it all the time. So you and I are in lockstep there, and Squadcast is the yeah. benefit of it. I think I have signed up for an affiliate program. I'm just not sure anybody's clicked on it yet. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's one of those things where I don't – I mean, I, I wouldn't mind – I don't mind getting paid for something that I'm genuinely promoting, but at the same time, there's something I enjoy about the fact that I'm doing it because I like it. Like it's yeah. nothing to do with, well, oh, by the way, I get paid if you if you if you check it out. No, no, I just like it. I just I have had the superior customer experience, and yeah. I'm trying to pass that on. And I think that's that's where the real power is. That if if you find out about the program and then you start doing it because they pay you, sure. But if you're doing it just because you like the service so much, I think that's when you really uh, that's when you're in the sweet spot of of word of mouth. Without a doubt, um, a lot of people yeah. might be asking, you know. So all right, so you've got a good product like squadcast do they really need to tell a story can't they just you know show up give their stuff and and you're naturally going to buy it and share it and my answer is no and the reason being is we live in a time of abundance you know capitalism certainly here in america is based on scarcity but we don't really have scarcity and we might have scarcity of leadership at the moment in america but other than that in our capital markets None of us have scarcity. We are all competing against abundance of competition. And most of the competition is out there screaming and hollering and say, look at me, buy me, buy me. They're not using story. They're not using that natural way to hook into our limbic system and get ourselves to pay attention. The M button, therefore, is a great way to do that. And the reason being, Francisco, is why they don't do it is they leave out the middle of the story. What problem are you actually solving? People like to show up, say, hey, we're Squadcast, and you know we're this great online platform, and it's, everybody loves it, you want to buy some. They don't talk about the problems with like Zencaster, which also has stellar audio quality, but is unreliable. You don't know, as, at least in my experience, when is it going to cut out on you and so forth. Or Zoom, which is very reliable, but doesn't have very great audio quality. And mm. so it's finding and amplifying that pain. And I mentioned in Brand Bewitchery, sales is all about find the hurt, amplify the pain, and heal the wound, which, by the way, is three-act structure of finding the hurt, is setting the context for your story. Now amplify that pain through the problem and then solve it heal thy wound um, with your solution i get why people would be resistant to the idea of telling stories as such but the but not using some type of story structure just seems to miss the point entirely of how marketing works effectively because if again if you just started as as you know a podcaster to, st- to stick with the example we're talking about 
you might not have even realized that the problem you've had with, say, Zencaster is a problem that a lot of people have with Zencaster. So if if Squadcast starts their ads by referring to, you know, you know when you were in that great podcast interview that you took ages to get the guest on and prepare, and then your Zencaster connection just goes, you're not alone in that. You know, most podcasters <laughs> have had that experience before. <laughs> Therefore, um, it, isn't it time you tried something new or whatever, right? And it just works. It's, it's just a, a very basic way to get an idea across. And if people just understood that, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to tell a story as such. Don't do that. But mm-hmm. but the structure itself is is just a, a, a much clearer way of communicating often enough. Um, and, and something else that I think is really interesting in the way you approach this work is that there's at least one other company that's reasonably well known that that has a a, a branding or messaging system based on the hero's journey and it's a story brand but their approach is completely different than yours in that they do not want to be the agency or do any agency type work so they're they're only focused on the education Whereas you actually do that work, you're not just teaching people how to do it. You actually do it for them if they if they want to hire you for that. And I guess that it's because of your background that was just the most natural way of going about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. the The difference between Story Brand and what I do is is Story Brand is a really great program, but it's a bit of, of a misnomer because it doesn't actually work on your brand. It's more of a messaging marketing platform so that you can have a more powerful homepage, essentially. And, and, and it's really good. You know, uh, Donald Miller is not a brander. A marketer has never been in that world. He's a writer. I mean, a really great writer. I love his books. In fact, I went to one of his programs, one of the very first programs he ever did, just talking about his books and whatever back in 2008 or nine in Portland. And it was before he got into story brand. And while it was while I was developing my story cycle system. And I wrote an article after coming out of that, I was saying, you know, I love what he's doing with his books. And it's just even more reason why the story cycle works. And, and you know, it's just adding to my knowledge and my, well, it was a couple of years after that, that he then came up with StoryBrand. I thought, that's interesting. Here's a writer who's never been in the branding marketing world, saw a need and just took what he knew about writing and applied it, you know, to business, typically for small business, sales and marketing Mine is a much deeper dive into what does your brand truly stand for and how do you communicate it internally to your people, externally to your customers, to your stakeholders, shareholders. And it is a, a, a much deeper dive into that. That's that's why I get hired over StoryBrand. People just want a really good website and an effective homepage. StoryBrand's a terrific way to go. And he does use elements of the story, of the hero's journey not quite to the depth that I have done in the business of story. That is the the main difference. I get compared to them a lot, and I I just like to clarify that theirs is a marketing thing, mine is a brand story creation thing to build a stronger company around. 
Yeah, and it it's very interesting because you mentioned the brand word as the part of the misnomer, uh, and you you could even argue that story is part of the misnomer. I know someone who was trained as a as a story brand guide, and she says that um, Donald Miller would would start their workshops, which is you know, they normally teach workshops, and he says if there's anyone in here that knows anything about story, shut up! I don't want to hear it. It's just gonna confuse everyone. Don't say it. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a good guy. He does really good work. And uh, I, I, I had, admire the work they've done over at StoryBrand. I, I had JJ on the show and uh, JJ Peterson, who works with Donald. And he said that, and I asked him, you know, you never actually teach people to tell any stories, right? He said, no, no, it's too difficult. Most people are not going to get that right. We just want to do this one thing well, and it works for us. We don't want to go into all the complexity and all the depth that you can go with story. Um, and it's, I, I find it very amusing because both of them are big story guys. Like he has a PhD in, in story and communication and Donald Miller is a you know, very popular writer. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because on the face of it, you guys do the same thing. If, if you read the books or look into it like I've done, they're just morals apart. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's the curse of being a PhD in any one subject. So JJ says it's too difficult. People can't tell stories. And I, I call BS on that. We are storytelling animals. We are intuitively storytellers. Now, it doesn't mean we're intuitively good storytellers, but if you just use some simple little frameworks, I call it the applied science, the and button, therefore, the five primal elements of story, or for that longer, more epic, you know, brand story narrative, the story cycle system that takes you by the hand and pl- helps you plug in your scenes to tell your stories. And these aren't, these aren't stories you're making up. These are true stories about the real world impact you make in people's lives. Again, I said your product or service is not about what you make, but what you make happen in people's lives. We are all a gold mine of stories that are sitting unearthed that could be the most powerful marketing you have ever done in your life that becomes extraordinarily shareable. So you develop that word of mouth marketing. So I like to push back when I hear people say, oh, it's too difficult. They'll never get it. Really smart on story brands part. Focus on that one thing. That one thing is going to get you a homepage. I, I to, believe to get you were in this. To, to, be fair, to be fair to JJ, I might, I might have slightly mischaracterized what he said. What he said was, given the focus they have and the approach they take, teaching people how to tell stories as a marketing tool or a sales tool would be too difficult for them to achieve. I think that's more what he meant than than just too difficult. But but I want to pick you up on something you just said because this is something I've also seen you do, and I think it's really interesting because the biggest, the biggest, th- the most common thing that anyone that teaches storytelling hears from most people is that that moan of like, oh, but I don't have any stories. Almost <laughs> <laughs> with a whiny, with a whiny voice. Um, and I've seen you have a bit of a recipe for for how, you know, this is how you find the easiest way to find some stories. And I think you talked about th- thinking of three moments that shaped you. Yeah. And I did a, a TED video on this. If any of your listeners would like to see it a few years ago, it's called TEDx Gilbert, G-I-L-B-E-R-T. Um, and it was 
my, my, my whole talk was about stop looking for your story and start finding your scenes, those moments that have shaped who you are today. And I think what the trap that people fall into is they think they have to have this big epic story that people are going to be interested in when, as Sean Callahan has demonstrated anecdote, no, it's those small little stories, those small little scenes that really enable you to um, connect with people. So you go back and, and <clears throat> sometimes I'll march them back from let's just go to college. Tell me about a time when your curiosity took you to some place that was surprising, that completely engaged you. And take me to that one moment in time that it, it all kind of changed your perspective. By the way, I think it's important at this point, Francisco, is to talk about that these stories are always about a moment. You have the lead up to the moment. You have the, but this action took place. And then this surprise came out of it. And you had this aha, therefore moment that brings it all full circle for you. And, and what is really fascinating to me is the word moment is a derivative of the Latin word for momentum, which to me is kind of funny because a moment seems like it's a time stuck in a place stuck in time. Momentum takes you on a journey. And isn't that what we do with the story is we want to take people on a journey. We want to build momentum through our messaging to get them there. And you do that by focusing on a moment. So think about a, a moment in time, maybe in college, um, that that has shaped who you are today. Then go back a little bit earlier, maybe in high school or pre-high school. It's something that happened to you that shaped who you are today. And then go back when you were a very young man or woman, a little boy or girl, something that struck you that shaped who you are today. For instance, Francisco, I was a little kid, and I must have been maybe – in the first or second grade, and we were out visiting our grandpa and grandma at a place called Lake Lida in Minnesota. Small little lake cabin they had there, and there were seven of us kids, and we were out there. And one day, my grandma and Mabel sat down to this piano, and I, as a little kid, didn't quite recognize, didn't know what this thing was she was sitting down to. And she just started playing some ragtime music. And I stood there, stood there fixated. I thought it was magic. I thought, how could this old lady sit down to this piece of furniture and make this marvelous music? And I knew right then that I would play the piano. So by the time third grade came around, my mom and dad got me a piano. I studied it. I started writing my own music. I went on to Washington State University. I got a degree in music composition and theory. Um, also got a degree in communications because I figured I could make a living in communications, maybe not as a music composer, but everything I've learned in a composition theory of a song goes into what I understand about the composition and theory and rhythm and tone and pace of a story. But I can take you back to that moment in time, standing next to my grandma Mabel playing the piano for the very first time that I heard her and said, that is what I'm going to do. A small point in time that has shaped who I am today. I, I love the the moment uh, idea, and this is something I I think I might even talk to Sean about briefly. Is that uh, I have recently started teaching at an MBA here in Barcelona, and without a shadow of a doubt, the moment was the most difficult thing to get people to to always put into the story. And then I, as I hammer that over and over with them. They, they, they would tell their three-minute stories, and I would ask the group, was there a moment there? And some people go, yep, yeah. And, and without, without fail, those were always very good stories. Mm -hmm. And when there wasn't a moment there, I, I can't quite remember if there was any 
any story where we listened to it, really liked it, gave it really positive feedback, it lacked the moment. I, I, I just don't think it ever happened. And the theory that I need to develop further is that that is what makes a story enjoyable because it just feels like real life. And when it feels like real life, it's fulfilling the goal a story was originally evolved to perform, which is you're getting a piece of your real life experience and getting into my head. But if the moment's not there, it's just not really doing what it's meant to be doing. And then there's still plenty of value to it, but not as much. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why it works, Francisco, and all my research on it is we, being storytelling monkeys, essentially, we live vicariously through the tales that we hear. As Lisa Crone wrote in her wonderful book called Wired for Story, um, she says, you know, we live vicariously through the heroes and the stories we read and watch so that we can try on their trouble just to see what we would do in case it ever happens to us. And we get to do that from the safety of our easy chair. So stories are learning tools. They're nothing more than learning vehicles. And when you can tell a story about a moment in time, it's specific, it's singular, it makes it very easy for our brain to digest. And it is doing it because in the backs of our minds in our limbic system, I am just simply learning what did Francisco go through that and how would I get through that successfully to learn what I would do in case it ever happens to me? That is always based around a moment in time and a true story well told. Now, just before we, as we, as we get close to the end uh, of the time we had, I, I just want to pick a bone with you about your book, right? All so right. I, Love it. I did not read the book in the order that it was written because as, we, as I started, and I think it was at some point in chapter one, you say, by the way, if you're interested in my personal story, go to Appendix 1. So I, w I was like, well, of course I'm going to read this now. I'm not going to read this at the end of the book. So well, when there's a minor bone there, which is why would you not make us know and like you a lot more through your story before you did everything else? But that's not even it. There is a point in your story, in your personal story, where you are at the lowest point of your life, supposedly, and then you are in the middle of the road, and there is a clown in, what is it, in a motorcycle or something? A bicycle. Um, a bicycle. A clown in a bicycle in the middle of the road. So I read it, and I said, why is this not the first page of the book? I would have had that as the cover of the book. <laughs> Why did you hide the clown and the bicycle in the middle of the road all the way at the end of your book? <laughs> well, it's a little jam, and I think you said it right up top when you asked me this question with your bone picking here, Francisco. You said, why don't you make me like you right at the very beginning? And I thought, I can't make you like me. And I did actually have my origin story at the beginning. And I thought to myself, I don't know if the, the, the busy mind, the time-strapped executive is going to take the time and or care about my having to wade through my origin story at the beginning before they can get to the tools that you can actually use. And, and you know in the very beginning of the book, too, I said, feel free to jump around or feel free to read just chapter one and do nothing more. You will get value out of this book just from chapter one, but it's a compounding value that goes through. And I felt it might be more interesting just to like put my origin story at the back. If you're really curious, 
how this all came about. If you have any doubt in the process in any way, then by all means, go to the origin story because I demonstrate how it all came together, starting with my darkest moment out in the middle of the cotton fields in Buckeye, Arizona, where literally out of nowhere, a clown comes you know, riding through as kind of a metaphor, I believe, is my universe saying, Park, you're taking yourself way too seriously, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but that's why I did that. I, it was originally at the beginning of the book and working with my editor publisher, I just, I even asked him, I said, you know, um, Glenn, I'm thinking I want to move this to the back of the book instead of the front. And he said, and he asked me why, and I explained why. And he goes, you know, I think that's actually a really good idea. So it becomes a little bit of a, a treasure in the back of the book for those of you interested in reading the origin story. Yeah, no, and I, and I can see how that from, from, the flow of the book it's not necessary at any at any stage but one thing that i have is i'm glad i i jumped and read that first because one way i have of figuring out if a storytelling book is going to be any good is can they actually tell a story <laughs> which i think should be a basic criteria right yeah but but surprisingly i have read some some very well known uh, storytelling books that shall remain unnamed and I I didn't write down a single story from those books. Whereas there's books that I'm I'm going through it and it was just my notes are filling up. It's like I'm gonna tell this one, I'm gonna tell that one, and uh, and that origin story because I think you broke it down into the steps. That origin story has the best part of like seven or eight individual stories that work on their own. So so yeah, no, I I just love the clown. I. I the clown has to appear in your merchandise at some point. It's just, it is just such a waste of a, of a, of a cosmic sign not to yeah. use it. It is a cosmic guide. That's for sure. All right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I will definitely do that. And you'll notice maybe in that origin story, and really throughout the book, but the origin story in particular is broken down. I use the hero's journey as my chapter points in the the origin story so i'm telling you my hero's journey and how it plays out while i'm packing the story cycle system of how it works while using the five primal elements of story in the all the little anecdotal stories that make up that overall narrative arc and i use the abt throughout um, where you can see I'm setting up my next point by first stating an ABT around it, then telling a story and taking you to a moment in time where everything changed for me for positive or for worse. <laughs> and and so I really wanted to model everything that I teach in not only the telling of that story, but then when you get into the 10 chapters of the story cycle system to see it appear again there in my customer stories and client stories and the impact stories that I tell. Your your book, um, Brand Bewitchery, is now out everywhere, I guess, right? Yep, Amazon and um, Apple Books. I'm in the throes of creating an audio version of it. I really got to get going on that. But for right now, you can get a print and Kindle version on Amazon or go to Apple Books and download it there too. And the and the well, your podcast, The Business of Story, that's also everywhere, right? For it is. I for a while, I couldn't find it on Apple Podcasts for some reason, but it seems to be back now. Interesting. So I, I, yeah. No, yeah. It's, you can find Business of Story anywhere and everywhere. Been around for five years. We're among the top 10% of downloaded podcasts in the world. We have that, that kind of listenership, which makes me really happy because I get to interview interesting people every week, and we put a new show out every Monday. 
Okay, perfect. And if if anyone wants, you know, for if the podcast and the book are not are not enough, where else do they go to find more about the work you do? Yeah, go to businessofstory.com. Uh, I've got you know, a blog there with, boy, now thousands of articles on how to tell stories. There's tools, tips, techniques. But you have to live up to that industri industrious name tag. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. Believe me, that's why I'm up at five in the morning here in Phoenix, Arizona, interviewing you or interviewing with you from my kitchen. You you can't slack off, otherwise your brand uh, your brand will suffer. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. I've got to be the most industrious, not the laziest storyteller in the world. There's plenty of those out there. I want to be the most industrious. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Park. Thank you very much for your time today. This was great, <laughs> Francisco. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I'm honored. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves, and until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website, storypowers.com. <laughs>